That's what he did on that day. The one named Jonathan going out to someone hiding south of the village of Horeb. David by name, that's what he did on that day. He brought the kingdom of mercy to David. He brought the kingdom of justice to him. And above all else, he brought the kingdom of peace. May I read it for you? First Samuel 23, one of the most poignant stories in the Bible. While David was at Horus, south of Hebron, in the desert of Ziph, he learned through one of his spies that King Saul had come out to kill him. And Saul's son, Jonathan, he went to David at Horus, and he helped him find strength in God. That's what it says. He helped him find strength in God. And then he said to him, Don't be afraid, David. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. God will not allow him to harm you. You'll be king over Israel, David, and I will be second only to you. Even my father Saul knows the truth of what I have spoken to you. What in the world does it mean when it says that he went to David and helped him find strength in God? What does that mean? It's five or six words. What does it mean? It is such extraordinary power. It's the same power that God used to create this universe. That's the power involved in those few words. He helped him find strength in God. How did he help him find strength in God? He, he said to David when he went out to see him at the risk of his own life, the deranged King Saul had put a bounty on David's head. Give you 20,000 bucks if you bring him back dead or alive. And then he decided to add one other stricture to it. He said, anyone who hides him or anyone who aids him, anyone who gives him food, anyone who seeks to help him, it will cost them their life. His son, King Saul's son, Jonathan, knew this. And yet God placed in his head David... And when he knew that David was out there and he knew how badly David was hurting, how afraid he was, Jonathan said, I must go to him. And he went to David and he helped him find strength in God. How did he do that? He said to him, David, remind me how it was when you were a shepherd. And if I remember correctly, you told me that a lion came in to your camp and stole one of your sheep. Is that correct, David? And David said, yes, that's correct. And Jonathan said, well, tell me what happened. Remind me what happened. And David said, well, I went after the lion. And I killed the lion and I brought back my sheep. And Jonathan said, how in the world did you do that, David? You're only 10, 11 years of age and, and this is a, a lion. How did you do that, David? And Jonathan already knew the answer, but he wanted the answer coming out of David's mouth. And David said, God was with me. And I can see Jonathan saying to David, is that same God with you now? And David, a little smile on his face, yes, that same God is with me now. 
How did Jonathan help David find strength in God? Then he said to David, I can imagine he said to David. Now something else happened 18 months later. Tell me what happened 18 months later. And he said, well, a bear came and took one of my sheep. And Jonathan said, well, certainly since it was a bear, you let your sheep go. You let the bear have the sheep because you didn't stand a chance against the bear. And you had a hundred other sheep, and this is only one sheep, right? David, you just let the bear have the sheep, right? David said, no, no, I went after the bear. And Jonathan said, remind me what happened when you went after the bear. And he said, well, God gave the bear into my hand. I killed the bear, and I brought back the sheep. And Jonathan helped him find strength in God. He says, the same God with you now. And David said, well, of course he is. And Jonathan, as he looks at David, sees him begin to lift his spirit. Isaiah forty twenty nine. David has fallen. Even young men fall and grow tired and weary. But for those who hear about God, for those who are renewed in their strength about God, they begin to soar on wings like eagles. And Jonathan had one more ace up his sleeve. He said, David, it wasn't all that long ago, two or three years ago. Do you remember what happened in the valley of Elah? And David said, well, who can ever forget what happened in the valley of Elah? And Jonathan said, remind me. And David said, there was a giant Goliath, right? Jonathan, you were there. There was a giant Goliath, nine feet tall. And I went against him. And Jonathan said, would you have? Did you have a spear, a sword? Would you have? Did you have a bunch of men standing behind you? And David said, I had no one. I had no armor except one armor. And that was God. God was with me. And I picked up the stones from the creek and I threw one of those stones, and God had it land right upon his forehead. When he mocked me, when he spit upon me, I said to him, I have the Lord God Almighty. And Jonathan said, do you still have him? David said, I do. David's not lying down anymore. David's standing up. He says, I do. Jonathan said, is my father King Saul, is he stronger than God? Is his wisdom greater than God's? And David said, no. No man stands against God. Those few words, Jonathan helped David find strength in God. Those few words. And all of a sudden, a man's life is changed because Jonathan comes to him. Theologians say that David wrote the 23rd Psalm towards the end of his life. Maybe the last three months or six months of his life, he's looking back over everything, and he writes 23rd Psalm. I sit and wonder, as I'm reading this, I sit and wonder, did Jonathan compose the 23rd Psalm? Did the things that Jonathan said on that day, 40 years before David died, did the things that Jonathan said on that day, did it produce in David's mind and heart the 23rd Psalm? Did Jonathan come and say, you were a shepherd, right? And David said, yeah, I was a shepherd. 
And did Jonathan say to him on that day, The Lord is your shepherd, David. And you delivered your sheep from a bear and a lion, and and God is going to deliver you from my deranged father, King Saul. And then did Jonathan say to David, You know, sometimes the waters of life are really stormy, but, but God always had a way of calming it, didn't he, David? And did he say to David on that day, you know, you're in great anguish. Your soul is in great anguish. I've never seen you like this before. You're so uncertain and you're so afraid. But God can restore peace to your soul. And God can set a table before you in the presence of the enemy. And the enemy of my father, sadly. Did Jonathan say the words of the 23rd Psalm to David on that day in the desert of Ziph? Outside the village of Horest, did he say the words of the 23rd Psalm on that day? And did David think about that 40 years later and write them down? God has anointed your head with oil, David. The great prophet Samuel anointed you. But God has anointed your head with all the blessings your life shall bring you. And David... When your life comes to an end, I'll remind you of what you've reminded me. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Visits. 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 Small groups. I called Vern the other day. I said, Vern, was your small group meeting before covid hit. And he texted me back and he said, Paul, my small group, and he told me everyone's in the small group. He said, my small group been meeting for nine years. And we stopped meeting on March 2020 when COVID hit. But I can't tell you how anxious we are, Paul, of starting up our small group again. We can hardly wait to see each other and to be there talking. Sharon, you're going to drive from Indiana, right? Okay, she's in that group. What do small groups do? Well, they encourage each other, do they not? They encourage each other. You pay a visit to the people in your small group, and they're telling you stories about God and stories about their life, and, and, and you're saturating yourself in that word and in that fellowship. And you are doing the same for the people in your group. You are telling them about God in your life. And you're going through certain things and God is putting words in your mouth and you're delivering them. You are paying a visit and the one you are visiting, you are bringing into their life the kingdom of peace and mercy and justice, the hymn that you just sang. How important are small groups? We had a lot of folks join during COVID, as strange as that sounds. Their church is not meeting or their church is very, very sadly closing down and they come here. And my great prayer for them is that Nettie might connect them to a small group this fall because it's crucially important to them. Parochial school, 220 students registered. And when the parochial school meets, God will already have appointed teachers and principals and custodians and staff people and the students in the classrooms Why does a parochial school exist? Because every single day, the children in that school are visited by who? They are visited by God. In what realm? In the realm of a teacher. 
who says to them, I'm bringing to you God on this day. And every day they happen to have an opportunity to bring to them God in a different realm, a different story, a different circumstance of life. And every student in every classroom is already picked by God. God already knows what third grade student is supposed to be in that third grade classroom because of some other third grade student that is going to need that individual in their life this particular year. Because in that parochial school, they do what Jonathan did to David. He helped him find strength in God. He helped him find strength in God. And the youth group and the Sunday school. What do the organizations in this church exist for? What does the LWML exist for? What does Bill Burke's Tuesday morning group exist for? Every organization in this church exists for one purpose, I pray, and one purpose only, to help us find strength in the Lord. One of our ladies, I bring her a communion every six weeks. She can't get our service. She doesn't have the social media aspect. She got a crazy TV that has three channels, and one is WGN. And she said, Pastor, every Sunday morning I watch Cardinal Kupitz at 9.30 on WGN. She said, Pastor, you ought to check him out. You ought to tape him and check him out. Well, I did. And as I watched Cardinal Kupitz a couple of weeks ago, he said on television with millions of people watching, he said... We never did this before COVID. We started doing this during COVID. And we will continue doing this as costly as it is. We will continue to do this because we've reached millions of people. But then he said, Dear Catholic brethren and sisters, would you please go back to your local parish for Mass? Because you need to see each other. And I was watching Parkview, Tim Harlow. Tim Harlow was saying, man, we were doing live streaming four years before COVID hit. We're going to keep doing live streaming. But people, I beg you to come back to worship if you're able, because you need to see each other. People watching online, they've noticed as the weeks go by that more and more people are in church. And they say to me, Pastor, I wish I could come, but I don't drive anymore. I can't see that well. I wish I could come, but they say to me, do you know how it enriches my spirits to see more and more people coming back to church? What happens on a Sunday morning when we gather together? Same thing that happens in the parochial school. What happens on a Sunday morning when we come together? Same thing that happens in a small group. What happens? We help each other find strength in God. Pastor Shower and myself, when we pray before a Sunday service or Saturday service, we say, Lord, let there be one person. Let there be one person that you'll pay a visit to. A scripture reading like Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. Let the people, let somebody be touched by a hymn verse that is sung. Let some person be touched 
by a single 30-second segment of the message. And that's what God does. Jonathan, when he came, he didn't say to David, we got three options. Let's sit down and talk. Option number one, surrender yourself to my dad. I'll say some good words about you. He didn't say that. Option number two, run far, far away. Leave Palestine. I'll make sure my dad doesn't hunt you down. That wasn't an option. He had a third option. Uh, Quite frankly, it's the only option he brought to him. He said, David, either you have God or you don't have him. Either God helped you when you fought Goliath or he didn't help you. And if he helped you then, he's going to help you now. Two categories of people on this earth. The person who, when you walk into the room where they are, you already have a little knot in your stomach because you know that individual is a little bit contentious. Okay? And uh, if they are contentious on that day, they probably have brought with them the nature of judgmental and critical and negative and irascible. The type of person you wonder already, are they going to be at Thanksgiving dinner this year? Okay, I hope not. There's a second type of person. It's the type of person when you are going to visit them, you can hardly wait to get there. Why? Because you're going to leave better than when you came. There's going to be a love coming out of them, a peace coming out of them, a kindness coming out of them, a gentleness coming out of them. There's just going to be that. When God puts someone in your head, He wants you to pay a visit. During COVID, there were 115 people that I was trying to visit. Now we're down to about 72. But if I paid them a visit three weeks ago, and all of a sudden God throws them in my head again, guess where I'll be tomorrow? I'll be at their house. Because God has put them in my head and heart, and I will go see them. Does that happen to you? God puts someone in your head or heart. I ought to bring supper by. I ought to send them an email. I ought to put a check in the mail to them. I ought to call them. I ought to stop by. I ought to invite them. Does God do that for you? Put some name in your head. I think when that happens, it's God speaking to you. I think it's a divine appointment that God has given you. I talked to a man at uh, LA Fitness the other day. He was all scratched up. I said, what happened? He said, Paul, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, tell me what happened. He said, I'm out in the middle of nowhere on my motorcycle. And a deer crosses the road and I'm going way too fast for that dirt road. And when the deer comes in front of me, I slide my bike. 
and I'm caught underneath my bike, and I'm bleeding. Uh, see this wound here? That, uh, that cost me 120 stitches. And I thought to myself, I am going to bleed to death on this road because no one comes on this road. He said, Paul, 30 seconds after I prayed that prayer, I heard a big old pickup truck coming down the road. And he stopped. And he got his phone and he called an ambulance And that's the only reason I'm still alive. He said, Paul, I know you're a minister. You and I have chatted on occasion, but I never really believed in God until that happened this past week. And I said to the man in the pickup truck, what in the world caused you to come down this road? And he said, I don't know. He said, I was sitting at home, and all of a sudden, God was speaking to me, and all of a sudden, I'm in my truck, and I'm driving down this road. There is no purpose or reason for me doing it except God knew you were lying here under that motorcycle. What is that? I talked to a young man yesterday at my granddaughter's birthday party. He's been struggling for 18 months whether to leave the place where he's at and go find a new job, and he just couldn't pull the trigger. And I have told him before, grass is not always greener. And he said to me, Pastor, let me show you something. He took me to the side away from where everyone was, and he said, let me show you something. And he opened up a devotional book by Sarah Young. I think it's called Jesus Calling. And he showed me the devotion for that evening that he had read ahead of time. And in that devotion... It literally said, God has you where he wants you now. And if the times are difficult, stay there because God has his reasons and his purposes. Trust him. And he's sitting there with his mouth hanging open. And all I said to him was, Sarah Young knew that you, of all the people on this earth, would need that devotion on that particular day. And Sarah Young, who will never meet this young man in her entire life, She visited him in that devotion. How many times you tell Pastor Shah or myself, are you bugging my home? You got a spy. How can you know what's going on in my life that what you spoke about on Sunday is exactly what I needed to hear? That's God. That's God. How often has it happened to you that someone comes at the precise moment that that someone needs to come? And when they come, you know it's God who sent them. That young man, he said to me, half hour after I read this devotion, a former boss of mine in that company called me. He said, in the four years I've worked there, it never called me. He's never called me outside of work. He calls me and he says, how are you doing? I would like to have you back underneath me so that some of the chaos in this place can be dealt with. Two people in the course of a half an hour sent by God paying this young man a visit. And guess what they did? They helped him find strength 
in God. Time to close. Who paid the ultimate visit? The one on the cross. And when he emptied himself and took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and when he died on the cross for our sins, and when God raised him from the dead, what does his visit mean? Trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of people have been visited by Jesus. Thief on the cross, literally hanging next to him. Trillions of people have been visited by him in dreams, in visions, in small groups, in a worship service, in the parochial school, in public schools, in country clubs, Wherever God has put you, He brings His salt and His light. Didn't Jesus say at the very start of His ministry, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your goodness, that they may see you helping them find strength in God, and then they'll give glory to God Himself. Closing word this time, promise... Matthew 25, David was very hungry because he was scared to death. David was very, very thirsty. David was naked because for those moments he was so frightened he forgot about God. He was sick and he was in prison. Who came? Jonathan. And by the time Jonathan was through with David... He fed him God's presence. He clothed him with the power of God. David wasn't sick anymore. David wasn't in the prison of fear anymore. David was standing upright, and he said to Jonathan, Let's get moving. And if you want to find out the rest of the story, you've got to read 1 Samuel 23 and 24. God be with you and me, the people that he sends into our life that wittingly or unwittingly help us find strength in God. Don't isolate yourself. You have him. Bring forth the kingdom of God. In his powerful name, amen. Let me have a prayer with you. Paul wrote it, 1 Corinthians 4.20, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it is a matter of power. When we visit someone and we bring God to them, it is not so much our voice and our presence, but it is the power of God that is reignited and that individual's life becomes transformed. Whether it's a trivial visit, Dear Lord, I haven't seen your face for a while or whether it's a visit in the time of greatest need, financial, health, the passing of some loved one, may we be that vehicle on that day, bringing God himself to another person's life. It is the greatest task we are ever asked to do, and it receives the greatest blessing for them 
and for us. In our Savior's name, amen.